Now tonight, we're going to talk about a subject from the Scripture that is relevant to all ages. It's the subject of fear. Because fear can control our lives if we allow it. It can be the unseen guest and yet a powerful unseen guest. It can squeeze the joy out of living. For some people, fear is a constant companion. It dogs every step they take and it cuts the living out of life. And one of the most dangerous aspects of fear is its ability to keep even the Christian bound up in a prison of frustration and hopelessness. In this prison, God can actually become the perceived enemy rather than the deliverer. And the sad truth is, fear doesn't restrict itself to an individual. It's like a virus. It can be transmitted from one person to another person and to whole groups. The recorded history of Israel found in Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14 demonstrates how destructive fear can be. Turn to that passage with me. Turn to Numbers chapter 13, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 30, and we're going to go into chapter 14 also. So kind of a lengthy passage, so you want to have your scripture open as we read it. Numbers chapter 13, beginning verse 30. Let me give you the background of the scripture I'm going to read. This is where the spies have returned. The spies that went into the promised land and spied out for the nation of Israel, as they were traveling in the wilderness, and they had come to the promised land. And Joshua sent these ten spies into the promised land. And they came back, and they're reporting to the people. And this is what God's Word tells us took place. Beginning in verse 30 of Numbers chapter 13. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it, and all the people we saw there was of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell down in front of the whole Israelite assembly and gathered there Joshua, the son of Nain, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who was among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, 
The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. And you know the rest of the story. God intervenes then. And he passes judgment on that generation. And yet they did not enter the land until the next generation. See, what we find here in this scripture is a nation defeated by fear. Now, think about it. How can this be? Does Israel have some, something that's so wrong with them? Some character flaw? Here they are on the edge of a promised land, a new homeland that was promised by the eternal God himself just months before. And just months before, he has parted the Red Sea and they walked on dry land through that Red Sea. And he destroyed the enemies of Pharaoh right before them, just months before. And here they are, scared to death to trust him to go into the promised land. How can that be? Is something terribly wrong with them? No. No. They're just gripped by fear. See, fear is a fact of life for us human beings. The scripture reveals that even the great men of God, they had to fight fear. The great leaders are told, we're told from the scripture that they were the ones that understood fear and they learned how to deal with it. Take David, for example. He was no stranger to it. In Psalm 34, 4, he wrote these words. He said, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Obviously, he was acquainted with fear. Obviously, he had many. God's people are often afraid. To be fearful is to be human. We all have fears. Where does fear grip your life? Do you know? Is it your health? You know, as we grow older, sometimes we get a little fearful concerning our health, don't we? Or how many COVID tests have you taken in the last two or three years? Is it money? With all this inflation that's going on now and the price of gas and food and everything, are you afraid your money's going to run out? Maybe you're afraid of a situation at work that seems to be somewhat out of your control. Or maybe it's you're afraid of home invasions. Some people are afraid of flying. Others are afraid of swimming in a lake. Perhaps you're afraid of people who are just different from you. All of us have fears somewhere in our lives. And at some time in our life. 
The question is not whether we have fear or not. The paramount question is, how do we handle our fear? Do we let them overtake us? Do we let them hold us captive? If so, the result can be devastating. Look at what fear can do. All of what we're going to look at is exactly what fear did to Israel, and it still does it to us. First, it, restore, it distorts reality. The report of the majority of the spies was distorted over, with overestimations of the people in the land and underestimations of the power of God. Fear produced what, is, what they called a grasshopper mentality. They pictured themselves as nothing more than grasshoppers. And that was a total distortion of reality. See, it was fear that distorted the truth about themselves and truth about the other people. Fear still distorts perspective. When you pay your bills, do you imagine that someday God's provision is going to be cut off at the tap and you're going to lose everything you own? How much time have you invested in building defensive mental arguments against someone at work that you perceive as a threat to your work? Procrastination. It can be evidence of that fear is distorting reality. Often we put off doing something because we fear the result of having done it or we fear that we will fail in doing it. The grasshopper mentality is not dead. It's composed of distorted reality and it's caused by fear. But secondly, fear creates a barren life. See, the common response to fear is an attempt to protect ourselves. But building a hard shell around your life can keep you from really living. This is what happened to Israel. They chose to let fear reign, and the results were tragic. Forty years more of wandering in the wilderness. No homes, no fields, no roots. They watched family member after family member die so that there would be a generation that was prepared to enter the promised land. Fear did not bring protection. It brought loss. And if we start hiding behind protective hard shields, then we're going to reduce the number and the quality of relationships in our lives. By not facing fear head on, the fear that begins in one area of life will begin to infect all the areas of life. And it will continue until you lose sight of God. See, this is the biggest casualty of fear. The loss of intimacy with God. See, the truth is, there's nothing more satisfying in our relationship with God than seeing Him intervene in our difficulties. Whether He alters the circumstances, or He adjusts the outcome, or He gives inner strength to stand and not run, experiencing Him firsthand builds our intimacy with Him. It proves that we can trust Him. 
And it makes it easier to trust Him in the future. And that intimacy with Him grows because our faith in Him grows. But the decision not to allow Christ to enter our fears and to lead us through them robs us of this closeness with God. See, because of their fear, the Israelites could not see the many wonderful things that God had already done for them. And it also robbed that generation of God's greatest gift to them, the promised land. Unrestrained fear causes us to lose sight of God and robs us of His good gifts that He wants to give us. Let me give you a couple of examples here, just to make sure we're thinking in the same direction. For example, the fear of confrontation keeps God from working in our relationship, and it drains them of their vitality. The fear of being inadequate often keeps Christians from exploring different areas of service and ministry, and the local church becomes weaker. Because you see, the strength of the church is every member learning their spiritual gifts and their abilities and putting them to use in the kingdom work. And when you're afraid to do that, a church is weakened. Behind fear, God seems so small and so distant and sometimes even boring and uncaring. Fear does distort reality. Fear brings barrenness of life. And fear robs us of intimacy with God. This is what it did for Israel. And this is what it will do for us. If we let it rain. So the question is, how do we keep fear from gripping us? How do we begin to cut our giants down to size? Well, the truth is, we're not going to be able to understand the answer to that question from the passage of Scripture we read. Because Israelites did not handle it very well. So you're not going to learn it from this Scripture. So through the rest of this message, we're going to be looking at other Scriptures. And I encourage you, if you would like to, to write them down. And look at them after this, this session tonight. Especially some that we're not going to get to read fully. I will talk to you about them in a few minutes. And I would encourage you to just jot them down and check them out when you leave this place, maybe tonight or sometime this week. But before we get to that scripture and that question, I want to tell you something that happened to me some years ago. I was in a time of fellowship with fellow pastors, and we were sitting around the table. And there was one of my brothers there, a, uh, a brother pastor who was going through a crisis in his church. Now, he did not try to hide his fear behind some macho image. Rather, he was honest with us, and this is what he said. He said, right now, I'm looking down the barrel of what I am afraid of the most in life. Now, though that statement made some around that table a little uneasy, it was the first step in correctly dealing with fear. It really was. You see, we have to face our fears. 
We have to identify them. They will not make them go away. They'll just simmer under the surface, then boil up with trouble at a later time. Being honest with God is the most practical and the most spiritual thing we can do to start overcoming fear. Now, this can be done in a quiet time with God, or it can take place in the heat of a situation. Situations may even require a verb submission to a wife or a husband or friends. In any case, however confession comes, confession must be the first response to fear. The Scripture says it like this in Psalm 55, 22. It says, cast your cares upon the Lord and He will sustain you. Now, if you're going to cast your cares upon the Lord, you've got to know what they are. That cast means to really confess, to bring before God. So you've got to identify them. You've got to look them straight in the face. And you've got to admit that you are afraid in that circumstance. See, confession of our fears does more than just give us a psychological or emotional release. It helps to clear up our perspective about God. To an unconfessing and fear-driven Israel, God actually became the enemy. The reasoning went something like this. God led us into this wilderness here, so why should we turn to God at such a time as this? Why should we trust Him? And you'd be surprised how many church members respond that very same way when they become fearful. But true confession of our fears assigns the real enemies their proper place. And it opens the door to develop a clear focus upon the goodness of God. So first and foremost, well, maybe I shouldn't say foremost. But the first step is to confess your fears unto God. Try to hide them or pretend they're not there. Second step is to stand on the promises of God. Love the song, don't you? No, I'm not going to sing it. Relax, okay? You know, in some cases, when we confess our sins to God, drawing near to Him will reveal that some of our fears are unfounded. Like Mark Twain, we can all say something like, I've known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. But sometimes, sometimes the threats are very real that are before us. Hezekiah, the king of Judah, he's a good model for this, an excellent model. You'll find his life recorded in 2 Kings chapter 18 through 20. You'll want to read that. I wish we had time. With no music? No, I don't think we have time. But I would encourage you to read that when you get home. 2 Kings chapter 
18 through 20. Now, what I'm going to talk to you about is found in chapter 19. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 14 of 2 Kings, chapter 19, beginning in verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers. Now, what's being talked about here is Hezekiah and the people of Israel are surrounded by the army of Assyria in the city of Jerusalem. And the king of Assyria has sent him a letter. And the messengers that brought the letter, they've already read the letter to everyone who was standing on the walls around Jerusalem. And those people are beginning to grumble that Hezekiah is trusting God to take care of them and to deliver them. There's this grumbling beginning to start. And then the letter is brought to Hezekiah, and this is what we're reading is what he does with that letter. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they are not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. You see, he's surrounded. His enemy is very real. It is. And he's surrounded by this enemy and he's trusting God to take care of it. I would encourage you to read this whole chapter sometimes when you get a chance. It's a beautiful read. And then turn right over to Psalm 118 and read it. Because through the years, there's been scholars who have said that Psalm 118 was written about Hezekiah's life. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of scholars nowadays think that it was written by David, which would put it long before the life of Hezekiah. And it does fit David's life in a way, too. But I'll tell you this. If you read 2 Kings uh, 18 through 19 and then turn right around and read Psalm 118, you'll see why some people would think that it's written about the life of Hezekiah. Because it expresses his thoughts, and his mind so well. For example, uh, in Psalm 118, verse 6, this is a good way of expressing Hezekiah's response. It says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? See, Hezekiah's enemy was real, but so was God's provision. Hezekiah did not wonder whether God was good or bad in allowing these circumstances to come upon him. He did not allow fear to drag him into that kind of debate. But as Psalm 118, 8 and 9 says, 
his heart cling to this. For it says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men. That was Hezekiah's heart. Sure, his enemy was real. And it was frightening. But so was God. And his power to deliver. God has not changed. He can still be trusted to take care of his own. We cannot allow fear to keep us from standing on the promises of God. Years ago, in my pastorate, this was before the time of internet, I had a shelf behind my desk, right behind my chair, where I could just turn and reach for certain things that I used often. On that shelf was this little book. It's entitled The Bible Promise Book. And it has the promises of God listed under certain topics in this book. And so if I found myself thinking a little amiss or feeling amiss or being afraid, there's many a times that I would turn in my chair and I'd pull this book out And let's say I was afraid at that time, and I'd look under fear, and there's four pages of promises from God's Word concerning fear. And I'd read each one of those, and I'd continue the reading until God took one of those promises and gripped my heart with it. I'm not talking about gripping my mind. You know what I mean. Grip my heart with it to where it settled the matter within me. And I would stand on those promises and I'd go on. It's a lot easier nowadays. You can even look it up on your phone now with the internet. You can, you can just Google it and, and you have it right there in front of you no matter where you are. You don't have to be behind your desk in your office to use it. It's a lot easier. What I'm saying is this. Whatever you have to do to stand on the promises of God when you're afraid, do it. If you have to make a list of promises yourself and keep it somewhere in your house, do it. If you need a little book like this, do it. If you're going to memorize them, memorize Scripture, do whatever you have to do to stand on the promises God has given us. And don't let fear lead you into this wondering why God let this happen. There's always one reason for that to answer that question, at least one. Because God wants to be there with you. And He's promised to be His children. So the first step, confess your fear unto God. Second step, stand on the promises of God. Confession of fear leads to a clearer perspective of God and His faithful character. But there is a third step. It's not enough just to do those two things. You've got to take it one step further. Don't let fear paralyze you. Get in the ring and fight your fear. You see, standing on the promises of help from God gives us courage and the muscle 
to step up in the ring and fight what we're fearful of the most. Catherine Marshall. Some of you know who I'm talking about because you're from my generation and, and you know who Catherine Marshall is. Some of you may not know who Catherine Marshall is. He, she was a fantastic Christian writer of uh, some decades ago. Uh, and I could tell you more about his, her life, but I'm not going to take the time right now. Uh, she sums up the benefits of confession and trust in God's character with words that are far better than mine. Listen to what she wrote. She wrote this. She says, there's only one way to get rid of fear. Like any sin, we must recognize it, confess it in true repentance, claim God's sure promise of forgiveness, cleansing, and renewal, accept these gifts, rise, and get on with life. Not only new confidence, but new growth in character follows this facing up to what we fear, provided we're acting under God's direction. Powerful words. And she's absolutely right. There was a little boy who was straining to try to reach the doorbell, the front doorbell of a house. A lady was walking by and she saw his dilemma, so she decided she was going to be helpful. So she went up to the boy and she lifted the boy up so she, he could reach the doorbell. And he rang it several times. And then she smiled and looked down and said, Now what? And the little boy said, run like crazy. What do you do when the fearful situation comes before you? The answer is to run like crazy. Build a hard shell. Get away from it the best you can. But there's a better way. And that's to confront the fearful situation and the power of God and deal with it and move on dealing with the situation. There's no need for us as believers to be afraid. The Bible says it like this from Romans chapter 8 verses 31 and 37. It says, if God is for us, who is against us? But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly, we, excuse me, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. See, Christ, through his love for us, offers us the kind of relationship with him that enables us to face the giants in our lives. And not just face them, but to cut them down in size. But you do have to take three steps as a believer. You can't deny the fear. You have to face it and take it to God and confess it. Secondly, you need to stand upon the promises He's already given you. Know them. Do what you have to to know them. But know them and stand on them. But thirdly, don't run from your fear. Face it and go through it with Jesus Christ. He will lead you through it. I don't know how he will deal with every circumstance you face that is fearful. Because he deals with them in many and varied ways. 
Sometimes changing the situation. Sometimes just giving us strength to stand. Sometimes bringing someone beside us to walk along with us. But there's many, many other ways he does that. But don't give in to your fear and let it control your life. You don't have to. God has redeemed you. Even from fear. He really has. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. I wasn't going to say this. But I am now in closing. Right now I'm thinking of someone in my family. Who is. Who really. Their whole life is gripped by fear. And they're so limited. In their life. They're missing so much joy. And hope. And. They claim to be Christian. And it breaks my heart to see it. But you know what else? It breaks God's heart. Not just mine. When we allow fear as believers to capture us and and do to us what it does to lost people, it breaks God's heart. Don't let it happen. Not to you, okay? Trust the God who has redeemed you. Pray with me, please, okay? Gracious Father, we come before you as mere human beings who have a lot of different emotions, and some of them are not always right. Sometimes we see things amiss, and we do become Fearful. We ask your forgiveness in those times, but we ask that you give us wisdom to bring it to you, not to try to hide it from you or even from others. Help us to deal with fear in the proper way so that we can be a dynamic witness for you. Help us to trust you as Hezekiah did. Help us to lay our fears before you and confess them. And listen to you and your promises. And then get up and go forward without the fear dominating us. Father, may we be witness for you like this in a world that is so gripped by fear in so many different ways. Let us be the shining light of the hope and the strength that you bring to your people. Again, we thank you for the privilege of being together and to look into your word. And we thank you through Jesus Christ for your redemption of our very hearts and souls. We look forward for the day when all fear will be removed from us because we stand face to face with you. May that day be soon. We ask it in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. Good night, everyone. Okay.